Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has entertainment for all ages. Horse racing is every Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday. With free admission and dollar deals, it's the perfect way to spend a summer evening. Blackjack, poker, and dining is available 24-7. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, 25 minutes north of downtown. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. We'll get to Brad in just a bit. I've got Wolves notes, Vikings notes, and so on. We'll get to Brad in a bit, but let me feature the sponsor of the Scoop Podcast, Gabe's by the Park. Last Monday, Scoop Podcast episode 73 was taped at Gabe's by the Park. I would say it went well. Clearly, I'm biased, but I think Rick and all the folks at Gabe's were real happy with the efforts there. It was a good time. Heck, it's always a good time at Gabe's by the Park. Daily happy hours, 2 o'clock to six o'clock you think about on monday nights five dollar burgers each night of the week it's something different like on wednesday nights you can get a really good steak with a side for only 10.95 it's an extensive food and drink menu lots of good fish options big fan of the walleye sandwich gabe's by the park is on lexington avenue and energy park drive right off of como park it's a saint paul institution your new favorite neighborhood bar is your old one, Gabe's by the Park. Please check them out. They're nice enough to keep the Scoop podcast going. All right, let's start with Brad Hand. Based on his availability, the Padres start a series on Monday night, so getting him on his way to the ballpark. 27 strikeouts and 21 innings pitched. His ERA is 171, his strand rate above 90%. Four holds. Any way you slice and dice it, he is one of the best relievers going right now, certainly lefty relievers, in the National League. Brad, thanks for your time. Are you a believer that things happen for a reason? I mean, just over a year ago, you're placed on waivers, not knowing what the future holds. You land in San Diego, and since then, everything has just been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, um, I kind of just ran with the opportunity. Um, I got a good opportunity over here in San Diego and um, got a chance to pitch more consistently than I did in Miami, and uh, I think it that really helped me and, you know, just kind of ran with the opportunity that was given to me here in San Diego. And you've really run with that opportunity being one of the top setup men, certainly in the National League. What's been that adjustment like going from, you know, for many years you were a starter, making that adjustment to coming out of the bullpen? Yeah, I mean, being uh, back and forth from – starting in the bullpen was was kind of hard and it's hard to get real comfortable um you know i've never really been a full-time reliever my whole time in the minor leagues i was always a starter so coming up i started and uh, just getting that consistent work and um knowing that i'm going to be in the bullpen the whole year um and pitching more consistently uh really helped me out i think what's the bigger adjustment physically or mentally when when you go from being a starter to a reliever uh, I'd say mentally, you just got to come to the park uh, every single day, uh, prepared to pitch, as opposed to starting where you know exactly when you're pitch, you're going to pitch, you're going to pitch every fifth day. Um, those other days, you're just preparing for that fifth day. Um, as a reliever, you got to come to the ballpark every day and mentally prepare like you're going to pitch and uh, get your body right to pitch that day. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's a little different um, mental mentally. Um, you just got to find something that works for you and a routine that works for you and um, go with that. 
I suppose also it's a little bit of a mental hurdle. You know, I mean, you're coming in oftentimes with guys on base. Obviously, you're not doing that when you're starting a game, starting an inning. You know, but I look at your strand rate. It's it's over 90%. I mean, it seems like you're not phased when you come into a game and there's a guy on base or even or even multiple guys. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was the, the hardest part for me as a starter was that first inning. Um, so being a reliever when you only got that one inning, you I just you just got to come in there and bear down right away and have and just mix your pitches right away. I mean, you might be coming up coming in with uh, somebody else's runs uh, runners on base, and it's your job to not let those guys score. So um, you just got to mentally prepare like the game's on the line every pitch, and you got to make focus on that at those pitches uh, even more. What pitches are you currently throwing, Brad? What's that? What pitches are you currently throwing? I know you have a fastball, a slider. What else are you throwing? Fastball, curveball, slider, and then I have a changeup, but I haven't really thrown it uh, as a re- as a reliever. Um, those one inning stints, I've been just basically fastball, curveball, slider, and the slider I just started throwing uh, two years ago for the first time. So last year was my first year. Uh, first full year ever throwing that pitch. That pitch, though, has been – I mean, is that your best pitch right now, as good as the fastball is? I'm just looking at Yeah, I numbers. mean, it's come a long way. It's my go-to pitch right now. Um, you know, just kind of messed around with it over the years. And then two years ago, like halfway through the year, brought it into play. And then it uh, really helped me out uh, getting strikes easier. It's not, not as big as a breaking pitch. Um, so – yeah, and then this year carried over from last year. Just getting real comfortable and more consistent with it. Whose brains did you pick to throw such a good slider, or was it something you just taught yourself? Um, I kind of just taught myself. I mean, I played played around with a bunch of different grips um, and just find one that was uh, comfortable for me. Um, you know, I would ask some other guys how they threw theirs and, you know, kind of tried those out. But then in the end, I kind of just found the grip that, I liked and was comfortable with, and, um, you know, it worked out. What's your velocity at now? I mean, am I looking at you at 94, 95, 96? Have you always been in the mid-90s? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been, like, right around low low, low 90s. I can get it up mid-90s uh, randomly. on depends on the day, I guess. Um, you know, but right around low 90s that would be my consistent range, I'd say. Then how about your strikeout rate? I mean, I'm looking at your strikeout rate the last handful of years, now the the first six weeks of the season i mean your strikeout rate is like something like 11.1 per nine innings i mean you've turned into a strikeout machine yeah i mean i give credit to that slider i mean i've basically used that as my strikeout pitch and then sometimes i'll you know uh get them sitting slaughter and throw fastball in there so that pitch has really helped me out on the strikeout side of things san diego i mean personally do you your family like living there you know, and on the field, is it a good situation long term for you? Yeah, I mean, San Diego is awesome. Uh, you can't beat the weather every single day. It's 70 degrees and no humidity every day, so it's perfect. Do you have those those dates in September circled when when you and the Padres come here to play the Twins at Target Field? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, looking forward to that. It's going to be my first time um, playing in Minnesota as a player i've been to the stadium many times as a fan but never been there as a player so looking forward to that i mean have you thought back i mean there were multiple times where i thought you would be a twin the oa draft they wanted to draft you 
you went a few picks before they picked 60 that year. And then last year on waivers, you know, the Padres had priority over the Twins, but I'm positive the Twins wanted you last April. Have you ever thought about that, how close you've come to being a Twin? Yeah, I mean, you never know what could happen. Um, when I was in high school, you know, the, those guys liked to – the Twins liked to keep those Minnesota guys in Minnesota. So, you know, I didn't really think much of it going into the draft. I didn't really know where I was going to go, what round, or anything. Uh, I mean, it would be awesome to play there, but um, whatever happens, happens, I guess. You're only 27 years old. I mean, is there a thought that with this sustained success that that the best is yet to come for Brad Hand? Yeah, I mean, whatever. I'm just taking it year by year. Uh, I'm just trying to go out there and prove myself as a as a consistent reliever in, in the big leagues. Um, and whatever happens after that, um, you know, that's out of my control. Brad, always a pleasure to catch up. I know you guys have a game tonight, so we greatly appreciate you spending a few minutes yep. on the podcast. Thank you very much. He is the pride of Chaska High School, Brad Hand of the San Diego Padres. He had a hard time hearing us there for a bit, but hopefully that short conversation registered okay. Hey everyone, Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore here from the Touch 'Em All podcast. Now, the Twins might not be very good in recent years, but our podcast is pretty damn good. Phil, that's a little bit of a stretch. Okay, our podcast is is pretty good. Well, okay, we have a podcast. You can find us talking twins on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com every week. Last night it was up late. I got the chills. I had goosebumps. I was sweating. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. And that's all before the headliner took the stage. Best show ever. Nothing beats seeing your favorite band live. And there's no better place to get tickets for concerts, sports, theater, and more than at VividSeats.com and the Vivid Seats app. Support for this podcast comes from Driscoll's. Standing by the promise of only the finest berries for over 100 years. Life is sweeter when you berry together. Enter Driscoll's Minnesota Berry Together sweepstakes for a chance to win a fun family getaway at one of Minnesota's favorite family destinations. No purchase or payment necessary to enter or win. Learn more at BarryTogether.com. On the Twins front, Kyle Wright of Vanderbilt got a text from a scout that was there, a non-twin scout, but told Kyle Wright over the weekend in his start for the Commodores, hit 97 at different points. His off-speed stuff was like at 82, 83. If you look at Kyle Wright's numbers the last month or so, he is making a strong push to be the number one overall pick. Make no mistake, Kyle Wright is very much in the Twins mix. The first round of the draft is on June 12th. On Hunter Green, we had Mike Radcliffe, Twins VP, on Scoop Podcast episode 74, checking around, you know, reacting to what Radcliffe had to say, checking around with other twin sources. The sense I get is there is definite concern about Hunter Green only pitching 28 innings. This year, there's concern about his off-speed stuff. He has the arm. He can throw at 101 miles per hour, but there are still question marks about his long-term ceiling as a pitcher. You certainly are not taking him number one overall for his shortstop ability. You're not taking him one overall because there's a backup plan in case the pitching doesn't work out that he could transition to being a shortstop and hit. I'm just telling you, reading the tea leaves, the more and more I sense some different things from different Twins folks, 
I'm not convinced they go Hunter Green. Yes, there are Hunter Green fans in the organization. I've mentioned before, Tory Hunter has spent time around Hunter Green. He is a big fan. I know of others who really like Hunter Green. They feel like a talent that superior when it comes to, you know, being able to throw it as hard as he does, you know, being able to excel as a person the way he does, all the charitable work he does in Southern California. Heck, I mean, as a bat, he's a late first-round pick, maybe even a middle first-round pick. So you combine the hitting talent, the fielding talent, then with that arm that he's just too special of a talent to pass up. But I'm just telling you, reading the tea leaves, I don't think the Twins take him one overall. I would keep an eye on Brendan McKay of Louisville and Kyle Wright of Vanderbilt. McKay maybe is a better hitter, certainly has really good numbers in the ACC as a pitcher, but the other day he started the other day. He barely hit 90 miles per hour. So do you take a pitcher, one overall, who barely throws at 90, 91 miles per hour, but his off-speed stuff is really good? He's also, I'm telling you, a really, really good hitter. In fact, if the Twins go McKay one, they will have him initially do both. He would DH and he would pitch. So certain days when he's not pitching, he would be a DH. He would get his at-bats. The Twins don't feel like they have to make a determination on June 12th, the second they take McKay, if they take McKay, on what position he will be. But I'm just telling you, don't discount the possibility of them going with the Vanderbilt pitcher. Continuing with the Twins theme and the draft theme, Mike Bauman, Matamidi High School, Jacksonville University in Florida looked great on Friday. Seven innings, no earned runs. He was great against USC Upstate. MLB.com recently had him as the 99th ranked prospect in this draft. I'm told the Twins, Royals, and Rockies recently had heavy hitters in. So I'm talking somebody beyond, somebody above a regional scout. So those three teams certainly are ones to keep an eye on. Sam Carlson of Burnsville remains on track to go middle to late first round. If he does, he would be the first Minnesota high school pitcher To go in the first round of the draft, I know just about every team has had a heavy hitter in recently, but certainly the Yankees, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks, those would be three teams to keep an eye on. But whether it's the Mets, the Rangers, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, many teams, just about everybody in the Twins front office has seen him pitch. Trust me, about every front office in Major League Baseball has a thick book on Sam Carlson, the Burnsville right-handed pitcher. He recently hit 95, 96 miles per hour. An Oriole scout earlier this season had him at 99 miles per hour, but he doesn't hit 99 miles per hour. He's more like mid-90s, but his off-speed stuff is really good. Sam Carlson has a chance to be a longtime Major League pitcher. That is the path he is on. Twins injury updates. Byung-Ho Park is back at AAA Rochester. The pitcher Mejia, his wife is due any day, so he's on the temporarily inactive list, but he should be back soon enough. Other minor league notes, Chris Anderson, the local guy, released by the Twins, didn't go so well in his outings. Where did he end up at? I had the scoop that he signed with the Twins. Where did he end up at? Double H Chattanooga, maybe? I should check. I don't have those notes in front of me. But anyway, Anderson gone from the Twins organization. Chagua, Gonzalez, Jay, all close to being back. Same goes for Jake Reed. So actually, those four pitchers, Reed, Chagua, Gonzalez, Jay, all close. Gonzalez would be the closest of the four, although Reed isn't too far behind either. And you know what? Jay is pretty darn close as well. Ross Detweiler, free agent, opted out of his contract with AAA Oakland. He has a history with Derek Falvey. Detweiler was with the Indians early last season. I'm told Detweiler's camp has the Twins on their radar. They plan on reaching out to the Twins. Now, the Twins have not made any contact, but if you're looking at the Detweiler side, 
They see Wilk here. They see Breslow here. They feel like their lefty is better than two lefties in the Twins bullpen. But again, no sign so far that the Twins have interest in Detweiler, just that Detweiler's camp has the Twins on their radar. Let's move on to the Timberwolves. They do all draft workouts in secrecy. They don't want to announce. So a lot of teams like the Indiana Pacers, for example, will announce when they bring in prospects for workouts. Tom Thibodeau, Scott Layden have decided to go the secret route. So it's on guys like me to unearth who is in town. Now, they had a group workout on Monday at Mayo Clinic Square, Monday afternoon. I don't have every single participant. I'm waiting to hear back on the final guys that were there. But I can tell you for sure that J.J. Frazier of Georgia was in town. L.J. Peak from Georgetown. Antonio Blakeney from LSU. Somebody told me to check on London Parentis of Virginia. In all likelihood, it was probably six guys that were here. So I can tell you three, possibly four. Check my Twitter feed, DWolfson KSTP, for the final names. I'll have them hopefully at some point later this week. Now, the significant draft guys, you know, may or may not come to town. Tibbs may have to go travel to see them. But we'll wait and see how the Wolves do on Tuesday night in the draft lottery. As we've reported for weeks, Andrew Wiggins will represent the Wolves on TV. Good reminder from T-Wolves PR on Twitter. The Wolves have been in the lottery 18 times. They are 0 for 18 when it comes to moving up. 10 times they have stayed right where they belong. 8 times they have dropped. If they stay right where they belong, they will pick sixth in the June draft. If they move up, it will be for picks one, two, or three. Keep in mind, they've never moved up. So moving up to pick three would be an enormous win. The Wolves have an 18.3% chance to move into the top three. There is a percent chance, like 37 or 38. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But there is a pretty strong chance that they move down, that they move down a spot to pick seven. So if you're the Wolves, just going back and forth with some Wolves folks, they told me, hey, if we stay at pick six, this is a really good draft. That's a very valuable pick. Just give us the pick that we have. We'll take pick six. It would be nice to jump up into the top three, but the last thing we want is to move down. Other Wolves notes, no specific order, because maybe this should be the headline. Nemanja Bialica still is not standing and shooting. Had the foot surgery in March. He's able to sit down and shoot, so he's able to do some stuff when it comes to his rehab. All signs, according to a Wolves source, are that he will not play for Serbia in Euro basket. Didn't play for them last summer. Doesn't look like because of injury. He will play for them this summer. Signs still point to Ricky Rubio playing for Spain, even though there are some people close to him encouraging him to stay stateside, work on his individual game this summer. But, you know, when you're Ricky Rubio, when you play for Spain, you're a national hero. Tough position for Ricky Rubio to be in. Also on the Wolves, Cole Aldrich. Actually, Cole was recently in Spain visiting Ricky Rubio. Cole Aldrich this week in Peru on a mission for Starkey Hearing. Cole Aldrich does all sorts of charitable work. He needs to be commended for that. Also, Gorgie Jang continues to do so much in Senegal. He's in Senegal now. Also, Gorgie should play for Senegal this summer, actually late August, mid-August, late August into September when they play the Africa basketball event. Also on the Wolves was told that Tom Thibodeau was courtside Monday and Tuesday last week for the NBA D-League Showcase. Don't forget the Wolves get to fill up a D-League roster in Des Moines this upcoming year. 
The Wolves interviewed a number of draft candidates last week at the Combine in Chicago. I was able to report on a number of them. De'Aaron Fox of Kentucky, Zach Collins of Gonzaga. Those would be the big ones, but Wagner of Michigan, Leiden of Syracuse, you know, Josh Hart of Villanova, TJ Leaf of UCLA, Anunobi of Indiana, who I like, by the way, really good two-way player. If he doesn't get hurt for Indiana, I do wonder if he's a lottery pick. Josh Jackson of North Carolina was also on the Wolves' interview list, which are supposed to be private, but they inevitably leak. The Wolves did not interview Markel Fultz of Washington. They submit a list. The NBA then gives the player the list of teams he meets with. The NBA did not choose the Wolves to interview Fultz. Now, if the Wolves end up winning the lottery, they will get time with Fultz somewhere down the road. Also on the Wolves slash NBA, there is a big draft workout at IMG Academy. Later this week, the Wolves are expected there. Among the participants, it's about 20 names. Among the participants, James Blackman Jr., Indiana, Charles Cook, Dayton, I'm just looking at the list I have here. Jeremy Morgan from Northern Iowa. Austin Nichols from Virginia. Reinhardt from Marquette. Woodley from Northwestern State. Barry from the University of Florida. Bernard from Xavier. So, again, it's about 20 names. The Wolves expected to have a scout there. On the NBA front, some guys I'm keeping an eye on. Marcus Marshall, St. Paul Johnson, University of Nevada. He has Eric Fleischer, the former Kevin Garnett agent. Eric Fleischer is the agent for Marshall. Quinton Hooker, Park Center High School. Mr. Basketball, University of North Dakota. Thought he should have gotten an invite to the Portsmouth Invitational. Did not. I hear the Chicago Bulls are looking to get him in for a workout, but nothing scheduled as of yet. Dr. Josh Sandell, my buddy from Twitter. He is the foremost expert in the country on treating orthopedic injuries. He had pending free agent Paul Millsap in town last week. Now, don't start any rumors. I'm not starting any rumors. Millsap was strictly here to see Dr. Josh. But I'm just telling you, I started to joke on Twitter. Hey, Dr. Josh, convince Paul to set up shop here in the Twin Cities. He needs to have you in his backyard. What about Millsap to the Wolves? I do know, all joking aside, Millsap has fans within the Wolves front office, but he would have to turn down a lot of money from Atlanta to come to Minnesota. Seems like a long shot. Continue to hear, by the way, that P.J. Tucker very much has the Wolves on his radar. Also on the NBA front, I was with John Lohr last week. Orono High School, Wisconsin Badgers, signed a four-year, $41 million free agent deal last July with the Pistons. Had a number of teams after him, but ultimately settled on Detroit. He's now actually a full-time resident, at least as far as tax purposes go, in the state of Michigan. So he has found long-term stability after being with multiple teams in his first five years in the league. Was in Cleveland for a little bit, Milwaukee, Phoenix, Memphis. The Wolves at one point had some interest in putting in a waiver claim on him. They did not. Other teams had some interest. He bounced around big time. But now he has stability in Detroit. I was at one of his workouts last week for a Channel 5 story that is upcoming. But anyway, here's my entire conversation with John. Can't air the entire conversation on Channel 5. But I did talk to him for a while for sake of the podcast. Here's my conversation with Detroit Pistons forward, John Lohr. As we're watching you grind in here, I mean, there is no such thing as an offseason. Uh, no, I mean, you get a couple weeks off after the season to uh, rest and recover. Uh, obviously, it's a long NBA season, 82 games. Uh, you need that rest and recovery time. But uh, after that, it's it's time to get right back at it. And uh, it's, it's about uh, laying the foundation and building it for next year. 
How big are these workouts? I mean, considering the minutes load that you took on this past year, I mean, you have to be ready for, you know, when it's game 60, game 70, game 80 next year, and you're playing 25 to 30 minutes, you know, part of that is the work you're putting in right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said, this is laying the foundation for, uh, you know, building your legs up, building your lungs uh, to be able to withstand that long season. And, uh, you know, I played played more minutes and, and more games than I did ever in my career. So, uh, you know, that was definitely a point of emphasis was just to, to really rest uh, this offseason uh, initially and then and then get back at it. How would you evaluate year one in Detroit? Um, you know, I thought I had a, uh, a solid year. You know, I was able to, like I said, play play a lot of minutes, play a lot of games. I think I pretty much had career highs across the board. Um, you know, we we came up a couple games short of the playoffs, which is you know we we didn't reach our goal, um, but we definitely have a, a solid foundation to build off of uh, going forward. And uh, you know, like I said, I feel like I had a good year, but you know, I still feel like I have room for improvement too. Is the room for improvement? Those final 25 to 30 games. I mean, I was looking at your numbers on Basketball Reference. I mean, those first 50 or so games really really good there was a drop off thereafter yeah i mean definitely there's a there's an emphasis on finishing strong this year you know i didn't finish necessarily the way i wanted to uh the last 20 games or so um and you know obviously playing a lot of minutes a lot of games you know that might have had an effect but uh that's why i'm back here working and uh getting ready for next season and and uh that'll definitely be uh my mentality going forward next next year is just, just finishing strong and uh you know, that's that's what I'm going to be working on all off season, uh, and putting in putting in the work and grinding so I can do that next year. Last summer, you certainly had a number of teams that came after you. I mean, you had options. You could have gone to a number of places. Ultimately, chose Detroit. Mm-hmm. As you reflect upon your decision to choose Detroit, everything you experienced in the last year, just affirm your decision to to be a Piston. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like I said this when I signed there. I feel like we have the ability to to build something special there with the group of guys we have. And, um, you know, I, I still absolutely believe that. Uh, we, we came up a little short of the playoffs this year, um, but there's no doubt in my mind that we can uh, be in the picture next year. And uh, like I said, just, just build a special culture and a special group because, uh, you know, Stan Van Gundy is, is, a, is a heck of a coach and, and he's uh, building the culture there that, that we want. And uh, I think everybody's buying in. We had some injuries. We had, you know, a lot of adversity we had to deal with this year, but, uh, next year, you know, I think the future's bright. Stan Van, really, in, you know, an intense guy. I mean, we see it here with Tom Thibodeau, and Tibbs and Stan are, are good friends. It seems like, you know, from afar, Stan's got a little Tibbs in him. Um, yeah, he's very intense, very intense. Um, but, but you want that in the coach because um, he, he cares so much. You know, he, every possession matters to him. Every practice matters to him, every shoot-around. So, uh, you know, when that's the mentality of your head coach, that filters down through all the players, and and everybody uh, knows the value of each possession of a game, and and uh, you know that's why that's why he invests so much time and so much energy into it is because uh, you know every every little detail is important. How has your position evolved since you entered the league? I mean, you know, stretch power forward. I mean, there's such an emphasis on the stretch power forward now. Yeah, it's grown uh, a lot even since I've been in the league. Um, I think you know Dirk Nowitzki kind of started that. Um, whole trend. You never really heard the term stretch four until until he got in the league. Um, but now he's really playing a five. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of these uh, bigger seven-foot guys uh, playing, uh, or, or, you know, the, the power forwards of 10 years ago are now playing center. Um, so I think it's the game is getting even smaller. Uh, I think I'll be playing some five probably next year um, a little bit. And uh, that's just kind of the trend of, of the league right now. Big emphasis on shooting and spreading the floor. 
and uh, I think it's good. It's good for the game. People want to see scoring. People want to see, you know, made shots, good skilled players out there. So, um, you know, it's. I think the, the game is trending in the right direction. You're going to play some five, huh? So is the idea that Andre is is going to maybe limit his minutes? I mean, you know, I would think if, if you're playing the five, Andre's on the bench. Uh, yeah, not necessarily. I mean, it, it would be more in a backup role uh, at the five. So when he comes out, um, you know, I – you know, would step in and, and play some stretch five as, as the that term is kind of being thrown around now. Um, but I, it definitely won't uh, cut into his minutes. You know, he's a he's a franchise player and uh, and he's going to be getting all the minutes that, that he needs. Is Reggie Jackson a good point guard for, for your game? His name came up in trade rumors here in Minnesota. You know, back in February, there was a lot of dialogue about, you know, would Jackson end up here? Would Rubio end up in Detroit? Is Reggie good for your game? Yeah, absolutely. Reggie's a smart player. Uh, he's a really good point guard. Um, you know, he sees the floor well. He can really score. Uh, he's a dual threat point guard. And, uh, you know, he just had some injuries last year. And, and that really set him back. He was never really quite healthy uh, the whole year. Um, but I think with a full off season and getting healthy, you're going to see the Reggie Jackson that we all saw two years ago, which uh, was, was really the best player on the floor uh, a lot of nights. And, uh, you know, he has that capability. And, and, and that's what I expect from him next year. I mean, all the years you're now in the league, I mean, you're a veteran. Do you look at yourself as a mentor when it comes to a guy like Henry Ellenson? I mean, Henry's from sort of around here. I mean, Rice Lake, Wisconsin, not that far from here. So there's a lot of people in the Metro that, that follow Henry. You know, he was up and down, I know, but when he was with the Pistons, did you serve as a mentor for Henry? Uh, yeah, I mean, I tried to pass along as much information as I can to him. We worked out together, you know, every day. So uh, it was good. And, and we, and more than a mentorship, I feel like we had a, a good friendship where, you know, I've, I've been in the league a long time so I can help him and, and show him some things. But, you know, he, he gets it. He's a, he's a hard worker, a really talented kid. He's going to be a really good player in this league uh, for a long time. And, uh, you know, he's uh, got a really bright future. You certainly have bounced around a lot. You now have stability with, with a long-term deal. Now we get it. I mean, there can be trades and what have you, but it looks like you are solidified in Detroit for a number of years. How satisfying is that? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what that's what you work for, and and you put in the long hours, you know, here and uh, in the in the gym doing court work uh, all summer long and, and all all season long uh, is to is to uh, set yourself up for for getting a long deal and and you know really financially being uh, uh, financially being in a good spot. And, uh, you know, that's part of the game. Uh, and once that's taken care of, then you can focus on just, you know, competing and playing hard every night and, uh, you know, trying to win once, once, that's, uh, once that part's taken care of. Do you recall at least points-wise what your best game was this past year? Uh, I do, actually. I think I had my career high against the Wolves, uh, 24, 25, something like that. <laughs> Pretty satisfying to do it against the hometown team? Um, you know, it, it was just satisfying to have a good game like that. Uh, obviously, playing against the Wolves, uh, growing up, um, to have a game like that is, is something you, you definitely cherish. How has the game evolved here in town? I mean, you know, we've seen it for a number of years, but it seems like in the last handful of years, I mean, so many guys going to the NBA, whether it's the Tyus Joneses of the world, Rashad Vaughns, you know, but you look at you, you look at Cole Aldrich and Mike Muscala. There's a lot of Twin Cities players now in the NBA. Yeah, you know, I think that's a, this is an area that gets overlooked. Um, you know, we have some, some really good players that come through the Twin Cities area. Um, you know, a lot of guys that have, that have uh, had success in the NBA, um, you know, from Chris Humphreys to Cole, uh, me, Tyus, uh, Rashad Vaughn, Mike Muscala, I think he's, he's going to have a, a really long career in the NBA. Um, so, you know, I think the, the game is definitely growing here, and you see a lot of talent coming through, and, um, you know, I think Minnesota basketball is in a good place. As you were following your alma mater in March, Wisconsin, did you feel like once they got some momentum going that they were inevitably going to get to another Final Four? 
I did. I honestly thought they had a great chance after they beat Villanova. Um, you know, there's just something about us right now where, where uh, you know, in March we play our best basketball, and that's what you want to do. Um, and uh, Coach Gar's done a great job of, uh, you know, solidifying his his spot there after after Coach Ryan retired. And uh, you know, like I said, the future's bright for for Wisconsin basketball. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Brad Davison from the Metro going in there. Nate Reavers from Lakeville North going in there. I think we talked about it last summer. But you know, you look at Nate Reavers. A lot of people look at Nate and say, "Hey, that's John Lore." Yeah, I, I watched him play up. Uh, uh, my dad coached him in AU, so I, I went up and watched him play. And, I, and yeah, I saw a lot of myself in him. I think he's got a got a really bright future. I think he, uh, you know, definitely has potential to, to uh, if he keeps working hard, um, you know, do really well at Wisconsin, and and uh, you know, even even past that, I think he could could definitely be an NBA player. Olivia, after this, when you're on the court this summer, what's the emphasis? What do you need to improve upon this summer on the court? Um, you know, I talked about finishing stronger, so I just want to really maintain, um, you know, my, my strength and conditioning throughout the year. I feel like I had a great, great summer last year working out here, and, and that set me up to have uh, a great, you know, first three quarters of the season. Um, but I think once I get into the season, I'll probably lift a little bit more and, and just, you know, have a little bit more sense of, uh, sense of urgency as far as that's concerned so I can finish stronger. Typically, Cole Aldrich trains with John Lohr at a place in the West Metro. But in this particular case, as I mentioned, Aldrich on that Starkey hearing mission in Peru. But both guys had epic summers last summer, signing lucrative free agent contracts. Cole Aldrich, three years, $21 million with the Wolves, although that third year is not fully guaranteed. John Lohr, four years, $41 million with the Pistons. Gopher sports. I'll start with Gophers hockey. Don Lucia is now back in the office. He is back from Alaska. He will zero in on a new assistant, filling that role that Grant Petoni had before he left for Northern Michigan. I would expect news before the month is over. As I've mentioned, Scott Bell, Eric Westrom, the guys in-house, Gordon and Millen, have all expressed interest. I'm told a number of outside candidates as well, with no ties to Minnesota, have also expressed interest. Point is, Don Lucia has all sorts of options. We saw on Sunday the Gopher football team lost a verbal commitment, a 2018 verbal commitment from an offensive lineman from the state of Georgia. Digging around just a little bit, I am told, the Gophers had nothing to do with the decommitment. You know, so it's not like they encouraged the kid to look elsewhere. The kid made up his mind for whatever reason or reasons on his own. But again, the Gophers did not encourage him to decommit. The Gophers still want this kid. They'll continue to recruit him. On Gophers basketball, I checked with somebody over there about Jarvis Thomas of Orono High School. Used to play at Tartan High School. Almost went to a prep school in Vegas, but that fell apart at the last second. Anyway, he is having a very good stretch for Howard Pulley. Has, what, a Marquette offer? He's got some other good offers. Marquette might be his best offer anyway. The Gophers have not offered Jarvis Thomas yet. They may not ever offer him, but I can tell you he's got fans with the Gophers. The more they watch him, the more they are fans of his. Now, somebody with the Gophers reminded me that when you play with Trey Jones, he makes a lot of guys look good. But when talking about pure athleticism, Jarvis Thomas has that. So just a name to keep an eye on. Orono High School. We just had John Loron from Orono High School. Jarvis Thomas will end up at a very good school. We'll just keep an eye on whether the Gophers ultimately 
ever offer. On race, Thompson, Michigan continues to reach out. They haven't made an official offer yet. Have to wonder if Michigan does pull the trigger. The issue is Indiana with Tom Ostrom is coming on strong. Indiana offered race Thompson in the last week or two. Tom Ostrom has been on race Thompson. Race Thompson may end up in Bloomington, Indiana because of Tom Ostrom. Ostrom is doing his best to land race Thompson. Iowa State has been trying for a number of months going back over a year. So when you look at Iowa State and Indiana, the Gophers are looking at race Thompson saying, hey, there is a distinct possibility we will not get the kid from Robbinsdale Armstrong, that we need to look at some other options. So they've offered some forwards from around the country, and that's where maybe Jarvis Thomas comes into play. Maybe eventually the Gophers do pull the trigger, especially if they lose race Thompson. Andre Jones, by the way, he is playing phenomenal basketball for Howard Pulley. I don't know enough about the rest of the 2018 national class at the point guard position, but it's hard to imagine there is a better point guard in the country the way Trey Jones is playing right now for Howard Pulley. I'm telling you, Trey Jones is so good. I still think he ends up at Duke or UCLA, but hey, credit the Gophers for trying, as I've reported, I think I saw in the Star Tribune or StarTribune.com that Baylor is continuing to recruit Trey Jones. I am told Baylor is no longer recruiting Trey Jones. Keep an eye on Duke, keep an eye on UCLA, but hey, I give the Gophers all sorts of credit for trying to land Trey Jones. Also on Gophers basketball, Ryan James of GopherIllustrated.com, the first to report that Eric Hunter, a 2018 guard from Indianapolis, will visit campus next month. Also has offers from Nebraska, Butler, Purdue, Xavier, Indiana. Speaking of Indiana, speaking of Tom Ostrom, Indiana may soon offer the in-state guard, Eric Hunter. But again, big deal when the Gophers can get a kid on campus. They like getting kids on campus in June. Had Isaiah Washington here last June, Jameer Harris here last June. We're able to seal the deal on both of those guys. They will have Eric Hunter on campus next month. Quick hockey note before I get to some Vikings news. Guillaume Latondres, the former Wild player, is joining that big lawsuit, that lawsuit that will be settled here in Minneapolis. My colleagues on the TV side at Channel 5, Eric Chalou and Joe Augustine and Paul Macaro, have been working diligently for a number of months bringing you original reporting on the concussion lawsuit, KSTP.com, for all the stories. Anyway, the new news as of this week, Guillaume Latondres, I don't even think he's that old. Anyway, Guillaume Latondres, who can't play anymore, concussion history, former wild player, is joining that class action lawsuit on the Vikings. I was at an event over the weekend, actually late last week, not over the weekend. Anyway, had a very reliable Viking source tell me, it's weird that nobody is talking about how close the Vikings came to signing free agent left tackle Russell Okung. So, you know, they end up with Riley Reef, but Riley Reef was not their first choice. In fact, they ended up with two tackles. Neither was their first choice at the respective position. You know, Mike Remmers at right tackle, Riley Reef at left tackle. They tried on Rick Wagner. He ultimately goes to Detroit, leaves Baltimore. They wanted him at right tackle. They wanted Russell Okung at left tackle. They thought they had a deal wrapped up with Okung. Remember, Okung represents himself, doesn't have an agent. The Vikings were dealing with Russell. They felt like they had a deal wrapped up that Russell was willing to come here. It was Russell Okung's wife. He recently got married. It was his wife who has a history of living in Miami. 
I think she said, okay, Los Angeles wants you. The Los Angeles Chargers want you. All these offers are comparable. Don't know if I can live in Minnesota. So Russell Okung ends up signing with the Los Angeles Chargers. But do know the Vikings at one point, Rick Spielman, I'm told, at one point thought, we have Russell Okung. We have our left tackle. But it fell through at the last second. I was at an event on Friday with the Kendricks brothers, Eric Kendricks, Michael Kendricks. They were raising awareness with a bunch of kids at Westview Elementary School in Apple Valley about healthy living, healthy eating. I was talking to Michael. He said, hey, you know, my younger brother, Eric, he's, you know, trying to do as much charitable work as he can. He gets it. You know, bottom line, when talking about both Kendricks, those are two young men who get it. Their mom and dad did a very good job. I was at was at a country club on Monday morning for Chad Greenway's Lead the Way Foundation charity golf tournament. He does so much for physically challenged youth, their families. You think about over the years, him and his wife, Jenny, all the work they've done for kids who have all sorts of challenges in their life. So kudos to the Greenway family. Anyway, I didn't ask him specifically how much weight he has lost, but he has slimmed down considerably. You think about not needing to lift weights religiously, Greenway looked great, but looked slimmed down. Talked to Kyle Rudolph also. He had a big smile on his face when we talked about Michael Floyd. Also brought up a good point. He says, hey, a lot of teams just try to move on from the previous year. In Mike Zimmer's case, in the Vikings case, the last handful of weeks, they've been focusing on why they went 8-8. Eight and eight. Why did they go from 11 wins to 8 wins? A few plays here, a few plays there, but they've been trying to go over specifics, what they can do differently to make sure 8-8 eight and eight doesn't happen in 2017, that they revert back to that 11-5 and five team we saw, or even better, in 2015. But he just said, hey, a lot of teams don't focus on the past. They try to move forward. Or at least publicly, they talk about moving forward. He goes, hey, I'm here talking to you about the past because we talk about the past at Winter Park. Speaking of Floyd, I was with Michael Floyd's longtime trainer, Ted Johnson, last week. He has spent a lot of time with Michael Floyd over the years, knows him as well as anyone. He's a father figure in Michael's life. Here's my conversation with Ted Johnson on all things Michael Floyd, the new Vikings wide receiver, one year, $1.75 million with incentives, can earn up to $6 million. Ted, let's just start with background. I mean, how far back? I mean, I know it's many, many years, but how far back do you and Michael go? Fourteen. Uh, and he had came to a football camp that me and another one of, of my friends had. Um, and that was when I first had the opportunity to meet him. And when then, I mean, with his physical stature, I mean, did you know right away he has a chance to be special or was it after working with him for a number of months, years that you knew he had a chance to be really, really good? I told everybody, you know, he was really awkward. He had these really, really, really long legs and this really short torso, but you knew um, just the way that he walked, the way that he carried himself, that uh, he, he was going to be special. And, I mean, we saw it. I mean, you know, whether it was sophomore year, junior year at Creighton, I mean, once the offers came in, too, I mean, he could have gone to any university in the country he wanted to. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you if you think back to when John Nance was a quarterback, you know, the interesting thing about those years, I want to say that offense must have averaged between 53 and 58 points a game. Uh, the majority of the games that he had in high school, I don't even think he played in the fourth quarter, you know. And so um, you, you, you knew uh, when, when he was on the field, number 80, that, I mean, anything could happen. Does that talent still exist? I mean, at 27 years old, I mean, presumably 27, you're still in the prime of your career. Does he still have a lot of that in him? Yeah, he's, he's the total package, you know. I mean, 
look at the film, how many wide receivers can block like he can? How many wide receivers have the size-speed combination to take the top off of the defense? Um, how many people have the football IQ that he has? So, you know, I think the best um, is, is yet to come for Michael Floyd. Sam Bradford wanted to throw the ball deep last year, couldn't. Offensive line issues, maybe didn't have the wide receiver talent. Right. I mean, Adam Thielen can stretch the field to right. a degree. Diggs, not as much, even though Diggs is uber talented. Right. But right. it seems like Michael is a good fit, assuming the Vikings have fixed the offensive line. Michael right. is a good fit for Sam Bradford. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the greatest asset that, that Michael Floyd is, in particular with the Vikings, is he's a great teammate. I mean, I, I think any any of the two teams that he's played for, there's an anybody uh, that that's shared a, a locker room with him that say he w he wouldn't go to war. Uh, you know, he can play inside, he can play outside. Um, again, he can take the top off the defense. He's going to block. You know, for these new running backs that we have, and you know that is a skill set that's rare. Um, you know, for a guy that was drafted as high as he was drafted, and uh, he's not a prima donna. Uh, you know, he's not looking for the camera. Uh, one of the things I love about Mike, even going back to college, you'd often find him sneaking his way outside the locker room at Notre Dame. He didn't seek the cameras. He didn't want the interviews. Uh, super passionate about playing football and, and winning. How motivated is Michael? Extremely motivated. But I, I don't think, uh, given the, 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 these past transgressions, that anything has changed for him. He's always been really motivated. Uh, he's always wanted to be successful. You know, if you go back and look, uh, when Bruce Arians got the job, um, he asked Mike to come up to his office. You know, he said, I want to talk to you about your role on the team. You know, Mike walked into his office with his cleats on. Bruce Arians looked at him like he was crazy, you know, and he told him, I, I want to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, that's a guy that has, has high motivation, you know, high compete level, uh, a ton of desire to be the best. And it hasn't gone anywhere. If anything, I think... Uh, some of the things that have happened have, have, have stoked that fire and passion even more. I mean, is he a different person, though? I mean, speaking of things that have happened, going back to what took place in mid-December, you know, fast-forwarding here, five, six months, yeah. is he a much different person? Of, of course. I mean, I think any time you have, you know, a public incident like that, it changes you, you know. But I think Mike's always been a really good guy, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think um, it's changed him any more than it's had to. Um, I love the way that he's taken ownership. Um, I love the way where he, he's got to work, and uh, he's working harder than ever to re you know, redeem himself. I mean, as, a, as almost a father figure, in many ways a father figure for him, have you had that hard talk with him saying, okay, you're coming home. You, know, you can't even go over to you know, Redstone and have a glass of wine. I mean, with Twitter, with social media, people yeah. have the iPhones. I mean, have you had that talk with him? Yeah, Mike is, is very cognizant of being in the public eye, um, then to be honest, it's, it's not necessary. I mean, the day that the Patriots uh, made him available to the media, he said, here's the deal. I made a mistake. It'll never happen again. And, and I think that's all that needs to be said about it. Uh, I think coming home for him, you know, and again, it's an honor and it's a privilege. I think he sees it as one. Um, and in my brief conversations with him since then, you know, again, he's just excited to get to work. You know, and it's an opportunity, um, you know, to, to come home and, and potentially uh, bring a Super Bowl trophy here to the Vikings. Has he talked to you about the potential of a suspension? I mean, is he looking at at least a couple games? Uh, the legalities of, of that, I know from, from his perspective, will take care of itself. You know, I don't think that's anything he's really super worried about. Uh, you know, I know the Spielman, you know, and the Wilfs, 
you know, and, 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 and Coach Zimmer and the official statement that they said, everybody's just excited to have him be here. Um, you know, they, the Vikings and, and their management are going to work with the league, you know, to make sure that they comply with whatever um, suspension or, or any repercussions as a result of what's happened. And uh, they're just going to move forward. Did Michael have a number of conversations with Rick, with Coach Zimmer? Did even Rick fly down to Arizona at all? I, I can't comment on that, but but I do know that, you know, from their interactions over time, you know, and when this process started and they showed interest, you know, the May 9th date passed and there was going to be any compensatory um, things that were going to happen as a result of signing him, that they were super excited to get him on, get him on board. How good of a situation is this off the field for him, having somebody like you here, having his family here? I mean, he's got the right support system. The Vikings have a number of folks, too, that are really good people to lean on. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I, I think is Mike is super excited about is uh, just a couple of teammates in particular, a guy named Mr. Kyle Rudolph and another one, Harrison Smith, who were you know some of the best buddies he's had in the world that he played college football with. So I know he's really super excited to get back to them. I know he's also really excited uh, to be, be around his mother all the time. And, uh, you know, I've, if there's ever been a person I've known to love their mom as much as he does, you know, so I think it's, you know, f- things are coming full circle for him, older, more mature, connect with some college teammates, play for the hometown team, uh, U.S. Bank Stadium. And I think, again, it's another opportunity to, to get a second chance. Uh, I know he feels extremely fortunate to have had one or have this second chance. And I know that, that he wants to maximize, um, you know, the opportunity professionally and personally. Expound on that. I mean, you're saying that you know he's very fortunate <laughs> to get this second chance. How do you know that? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, he's, he's changing his life. You know, he's, he reads a lot. He and I actually go back and forth about different books. I'm an avid reader. Um, I challenge him on that, and, and he responds um, he takes care of himself very, very well in terms of what he eats and his diet and weighing in, uh, training and working out. He's more focused than I've, than I've ever seen him. Always been focused, but, but obviously with, with, with uh, the opportunity that lies ahead of him, I know, um, you know he feels a greater responsibility, more so maybe than he has ever had at any point in his career, which I think is good. I mean, more focused than ever. I mean, have you been down to Arizona? You've spent time around him. I mean, you know he's he's as focused as he's ever been. I mean, I, I've spent a ton of time with him. Again, I was with him at the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I've you know we hang out on Google, whatever it might be. Obviously, he's on house arrest, so uh, haven't had a chance to have any face-to-face contact with him outside of our mobile devices. But he looks good. Skin looks good. He's you know drinking a lot of water, eating well. Uh, he's training extremely hard and, and preparing for the opportunity he has this year uh, with the Vikings. I mean, just on the field. I mean, signing a one-year deal. I mean, that's going to be motivating, right? I mean, he's playing for a contract when he's 28 years old. I mean, he's still, I would think, in your mind, in his mind, has another four, five, six, seven years left in the NFL. Yeah, and interestingly enough, we actually talked about that. You know, um, a good friend of of both of ours, obviously Ryan Harris, had just retired. You know, and and at this juncture in his career, I mean, by by no means is it over. But, you know, you can see that it's coming to an end. And I think knowing that you aren't going to play forever, that ego-driven mindset is is gone. Um, You know, I think he's a lot more uh, focused on the here and now and the present. But but knowing that, you know, I can't do this forever. And the fact that it's going to end, you know, sooner than probably later, I think there's a sense of urgency about everything he does. 
you know, in terms of getting good rest and, you know, separating himself from certain people and who he's connected to and who he's not connected to. That, that sense of urgency, I think, that makes going to work every day or training or the things that he eats, the sacrifices that he, make, that he makes, I think it makes it easier for him, you know, knowing that it's coming, uh, coming to an end sooner than later. Ted, where can he get better on the field? Like, I remember the game when Arizona was here last year. He got benched in the second half, and I was trying to figure out what the heck happened. So there were some things on the field. Yeah. Like, you talk about great blocker. We know he can stretch the field. I mean, you look at some of the numbers he's put up going back to 2013. I mean, he's put up big numbers, but he can get better. Where can he get better on the field? Well, you know, and again, I think it d- depends on who the critic is and who's evaluating the film. You know, again, I think his greatest asset as a big wide receiver is, is not only can he take the top off the defense, but he can block. I know there's going to be plenty of people that are going to talk about the drops um, that have been made. You know, and if you compare, you know, Mike, you know, he's in pro football focused stats, you know, versus the amount of plays that he's on the game, how many times, amount of plays he's in the game, the amount of plays that he's targeted on, and how many catches he has versus drops, he's going to be one of the top receivers in the league. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Uh, you know, so I know there have been some drops, um, and, and I just think those are just lapses in concentration for, for different reasons. If it isn't, you know, protecting yourself or make, making sure that you get your feet down, you know, but I think he has a well-rounded game. I mean, I think you can get better and as, as he develops a better relationship with, with uh, Bradford and the offense coordinator and knows his role in the offense, I think he's going to excel. Is there a chance, I mean, you mentioned the house arrest. Is there a chance the Vikings, the state of Minnesota, can work together and transfer him up here, still be under home confinement here in Minnesota, but then have a work release where maybe he doesn't need to be in Arizona until mid-June? Yeah, and I know, you know, the legalities of all that I know is going to play itself out, but I do know, you know, behind the scenes, I believe that, you know, he's working, you know, uh, feverishly, you know, to try to make sure that he honors, you know, his commitment from a community service standpoint. And he's compliant with everything that the court has set aside for him to do so that when he does get here, uh, there won't be any surprises. There won't be any hiccups. There won't be anything that impedes him from um, doing his doing his job. And I suppose, I mean, if he can't escape Arizona, you know, Sam Bradford, others, right. they should go down there and, and set something up, right? I mean, I would think he's able to leave the confines of yeah his actual house. I mean, maybe that's yeah. a possibility. To, and to my knowledge, I think he gets a couple hours a day, you know, because as a professional athlete, his profession that, that he can work out. I think he trains at a place called Fisher Institute. I'm oh, not sure. sure. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, I'm not sure how close it is in proximity to where he lives. He actually just got a new house, but um, but I know he's able to work out. I mean, he's allowed to do that. The court allows him to do that. But the unfortunate thing is, is, is by the time he is uh, actually released, uh, minicamp has and OTAs have ended for the Vikings. So at that point, uh, he would just be getting ready, um, you know, for training camp. But you know, going on seven years in the league, he's a vet. He knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, he blended in. You know, we see what he did week one and one practice. You know, uh, with the New England Patriots. So uh, I know he's familiar with the system and, and some of the things that they're doing offensively. And, uh, you know, he's, he's born and raised here. So I think getting acclimated to being here and, you know, driving to work and, and what that whole process is like is, is going to be easy for him. You got anything, Kevin? Uh, the only thing I was kind of curious about is <clears throat> I know that uh, some players do like, I'll say, the player's coach. It seems like Zimmer is more of that authoritative guy. How will Michael respond to a guy that uh, is as no-nonsense as he is? 
Yeah. Well, if you just even look at historically, uh, Charlie Weiss and the offensive coordinators, Coach Dan Brock, uh, you know, Chuck Martin, who is now the head coach at Miami of Ohio. I mean, Mike's been around some hard-nosed guys um, that, that push and challenge him. And, again, I don't think it's anything he's afraid of. He doesn't need a player's coach. He doesn't need somebody to – to acquiesce to him in any way, shape, or form. You know, Mike is a—he's a straight, straight-nosed, hardline guy. And again, he's first and foremost—he's a great teammate. He's great in the locker room, and uh, you know, I, I think he's—he's he's ready for whatever style of coaching that he's about to experience. He's never hid uh, from criticism. He's never hid from challenges. He's always stood up to them. And again, like I said, he is looking forward to this opportunity, I think, more so than anyone uh, that he's had out of all the places that he could have potentially gone. And I know this about him personally and professionally. No one wants it more than he does, and no one could put more pressure on him than he puts on himself. Does he also want to be great in the community? I mean, you're right. He's not chasing the cameras, the spotlight. But considering his backstory, I mean, what about going to – whether it's different meetings, schools, what about being out front and telling his story and telling people don't make the same mistake yeah, I did? You know, that's that's an ama- that's a great question, and, and actually one of the things I did want to say is, you know, when you talk about great guy, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I could pick up the phone and call him, and when he's come here, I said, listen, we need to go meet with these guys and this coach and this principal in this part of town. And it's just us behind the scenes. We've driven. We've worked out. He hasn't had anything to eat. He's tired. He's sore. You know, he'd love to go home. But we'll jump We'll jump in his truck and we'll drive an hour to go meet with some kid and a principal in the principal's office. You know, and he'll sit and tell them the honest-to-God truth about every experience he had and why they shouldn't make the same mistakes as he made. And he's not looking to get credit. He is an awesome guy in the community. He does tons of stuff on the west side. He does camps. You know, and he doesn't invite the media to come out and watch because that's not why he does it. He does it because his heart's in the right place. He does it because he believes in kids, and he does it because he wants to help people. You know, and that's a story that that, that I, I wish more people knew, you know, about him as a person and what he does for other people. You know, and there isn't any time that if there was ever a kid that wanted to train with me that had everything that it took to be the best and couldn't pay for it, he would do it. And he's mentioned it. And he's offered it. So, you know, like I said, I've been there with him. I've seen him do it. He does a lot of stuff for people in the community. Uh, There's a laundry list. I could give it to you. But I know he's not seeking attention uh, for anything that he does uh, in a positive way because he wants to do it just to do it because it's right and it's in its heart and it's in his heart to do it. That was Ted Johnson, Michael Floyd's longtime trainer. Floyd's attorney is trying to get his home arrest. His home confinement changed from Arizona to Minnesota now. No guarantees when dealing with the state of Arizona. The state of Arizona is not an easy state to get something like that changed. So it's entirely possible Michael Floyd will be in Arizona through the Vikings mandatory minicamp in June, meaning he'll show up with the Vikings in Mankato in July. But just know his attorney is trying and that possibility exists that he'll get that transferred here then could actually go to Winter Park and get some work in. Also, the Washington Redskins, even though logically speaking, it doesn't look like they need a wide receiver, I'm told the Redskins did come hard 
after Michael Floyd. Now, financially, no. I mean, he wasn't going to get a big-time offer, but the Redskins were willing to do something comparable to what the Vikings did. I will leave you with this. Randy Handel was at the Chad Greenway charity golf event on Monday morning. I know talking to one of Handel's good friends, that Handel has hired a big-time attorney. At some point, Handel would like to tell his side of the story. Now his attorney may advise and say, hey, no, that's a really bad idea. But I do know in his mind there is another side to the story. Now the EOAA office at the U says that he sexually harassed one of his coworkers. But we know the EOAA maybe doesn't have the greatest reputation, and he certainly has had his name dragged through mud. And in his mind, it is not justifiable. So that certainly kept me busy a good portion of last week. But hopefully this 60-minute podcast filled you with enough information, with enough good material. Always appreciate you listening. Some more love now for Gabe's by the Park, the sponsor of the Scoop Podcast, happy hour every day from 2 to 6. Host your next event in Gabe's private room, Gabe's by the Park, on Lexington Avenue and Energy Park Drive. Right off of Como Park, $5 burgers on Monday nights, Wednesday nights from 5 until 11, their famous steak night, 12-ounce New York strip with a side for only $10.95. Stop in, check out their extensive food and drink menu. Lots of good fish choices. Your new favorite neighborhood bar is your old one. They sponsor the Scoop Podcast. It is Gabe's by the Park. We thank them dearly. Anyway, we'll have lots to digest next week. Who knows? Maybe even I do a different Scoop Podcast 76. Maybe I do a new episode before the week is over if there's enough material. But one way or another, we'll be back whether it's later this week or next week, God willing, of course. But we hope to be back. I'm sure we'll follow up on the Wolves and what takes place in the lottery. There's always something going on with the Vikings. There's always something going on with a number of Gophers sports, the softball team royally screwed i know they put on a good public face on monday morning at a news conference but i'm told behind the scenes rightfully so no surprise they are furious that somehow being ranked number two in the country winning as many games as they did they are not deemed worthy of being one of the top 16 seeds and hosting a regional heck a lot of people with the gophers thought they would not only host a regional they would also host a super regional that every game would be on campus And if they won out, they would end up in Oklahoma City at the College World Series. Now they have to go through Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And if they advance, in all likelihood, they will have to go through number one Florida. The Gophers softball team got royally screwed. The committee releasing a statement on Twitter on Monday afternoon saying, hey, strength of schedule. The Gophers just didn't have it. Number of wins, not that big of a deal when you're not playing anybody. But the Gophers' comeback is, hey, we did play some teams. We beat LSU in Baton Rouge, for God's sakes. We beat some other good teams. You know, we can't control how the teams on our schedule end up performing. So I know the Gophers are very, very upset. Anyway, that does it for Scoop Podcast episode number 75. Always appreciate you listening. I modified my wristwatch so that it always reads game time. Every memo I write at the office is written on poster board and you can read it from 100 yards away. My heckling once made an umpire reverse a call. Granted, he may have come to the conclusion on his own, but I'd like to believe it was me. Why? Because I live to see my team live. Sports fans, there's no better place to get tickets for sports, concerts, theater, and more than at VividSeats.com and the Vivid Seats app. 
A deadly police shooting in Oklahoma. I'm Jackie Quinn with an AP News Minute. Police are out in riot gear in Tulsa, Oklahoma, after a protest over the fatal shooting of a black man reported to have mental issues. Police say that he was heading into a store armed with two knives. Officers used lethal force to protect the people inside the business. Two congressional committees want to see evidence like James Comey's leaked memo and any White House tapes, if they exist, of the conversations between President Trump and fired FBI Director James Comey since the president is refuting some of yesterday's testimony. James Comey confirmed a lot of what I said. And some of the things that he said just weren't true. Roman Polanski, sexual assault victim, 13 at the time, has asked a judge to end the 40-year-old case against the fugitive director. It's very interesting to uh, make it worse than it was and call it horrific and assign all these words to it. But that's not what happened. Prosecutors insist he must return to the U.S.